Hi, this is Welcome to the End Times from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and demon desperately trying to come up with a plan C, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher and dithering thwarting angel who hasn't held a flaming sword in ages, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we are here today to talk about Good Omens Saturday, part one, pages 173 to 237 in the paperback. Although funny enough, not in my paperback. Let me tell you a little story, Kelly. There's a thing that happened. I was using the Kindle to read this book, right? Uh But I I never knew what like pages my quotes were on and what I was looking at compared to what you were looking at. So I ordered the paperback book and I was like, well, you know, as I'm reading, I'm like, wait, I'm on 237 and I haven't finished this week's reading. What's going on? And then I realized that on mine, this week's reading starts on like 192 and ends at like 258. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I give up. Do not even think about trying to escape us. There is no escape. Stay where you are. You will be collected. Or let's stop Armageddon. A quick recap of the reading before we dive into Pandemonium. The international delivery man brings a crown to Chalky, a.k.a. White, a.k.a. the Pollution Horseman, and a message to death and dies for his trouble. Newt heads to Lower Tadfield, encounters aliens, and crashes his car in a Tibetan tunnel near Jasmine Cottage. Adam and the Vim help him to the cottage, where Anathema is waiting with her first aid kit. Anathema tells Newt about Agnes Nutter and her prophecies, and they bond over a hailstorm and the emergence of new rainforests while preparing for the last few hours left on Earth. Adam takes the Vim down to the quarry and is overtaken by anger, grief, and power. And his friends and dog are terrified as the storm in Adam seems to break out all around them. Trees begin to grow at wild speed and deep in the ocean, which has been made deeper by Adam's wishes. The Kraken awakes. Shadwell decides to go rescue Newt and tracks down Aziraphale to ask for money to go to Lower Tadfield. Aziraphale calls Crowley to tell him about the book and then contacts Heaven to tell them about Adam, but tries to avoid stepping into the light tunnel that would take him above until Shadwell chases him into it. Aziraphale disappears, and Shadwell, miserable bastard that he is, knocks over a candle and sets the bookshop ablaze, and I will never forgive you, Shadwell, you sorry-ass, racist, sexist, homophobic asshat. Do you hear me? Never! All of those other things are bad enough, but you burn down a bookshop and Dr. Kelly Jones will not forgive that. (laughs) This is the line, man. This is the line. Not okay. Meanwhile, Crowley outsmarts Haster and Leaguer, who have learned that Warlock isn't the Antichrist and have come to get Crowley and make him pay for his mistakes back in hell. Crowley kills Leaguer with a bucket of holy water and then traps Haster in his answering machine because physics matter not at all to demons and then takes off in his Bentley, headed for a zero fail. You know, that is a remarkably short summary, given the number of pages <laughs> that are in this okay, chapter. Okay, but given, given the number of interesting things that happen in these chapters. <laughs> All right, here's the thing. I'm just going to come clean right off the top here. Um, I love this book. I love Neil Gaiman. I love Terry Pratchett. I love all of it. But... <laughs> <laughs> This is something that I think is a little self-indulgent. And honestly, the story for me is Crowley and Aziraphale. The story for me is these two, the angel and the demon and their love story, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to get to. 
And we spend most of the time dicking around with the four horsemen or Adam. Although I do like Anathema and Newt. Anathema and Newt are also fun. Shadwell I can spare. Um, so for me, like these chapters have been a little bit of a grind. Mostly because it's not that they're not interesting or fun or like well written. But it's not the stuff that I want to get to. It's like, I don't know. You read Lord of the Rings? Did you read Lord yes. of the Rings? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know in the Two Towers... Like yeah. we split everybody up and instead yes. of going like alternating chapters, you do the first half about all the people you don't really care about so much. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, where are Frodo and Sam? Like, I just, I want to know what's going on with Frodo. Like, give me the ring. Where's Frodo and <laughs> Sam? Mary and Pippin. I like Mary and Pippin. Don't get me wrong. I think they're really cute, but I want Frodo and Sam. So it feels a little bit like that. Like I'm waiting to get to the stuff that I really want to get to. And even though the stuff that I'm in is kind of fun and interesting, I'm just, I'm just not that into it. Yeah. I kept, I mean, I, I like this section, but I'm like, where is Crowley? Where Crowley where is Where is Aziraphale? <laughs> like, I can deal with all of this, you know, add in, like, you know, keep, give yeah. us this stuff. That's fine. But give me some Crowley. Give me some Aziraphale. I mean, I guess Crowley was like sleeping for most of it, but still. Like, yeah. I want my Crowley. I want my Xerophel. I want my protagonists on the page. And we do have, I mean, Anathema and Newt, I guess, are protagonists of a sort, except they're not really trying to do anything because they're, they're mm-hmm. not really trying to stop it. You know, nobody's coming after them. They're just on the world while it's ending, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay, go ahead and get us started. Let's talk about these chapters. Oh, she said with great enthusiasm. <laughs> 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 so we have our favorite international express delivery man yes poor and guy he has, poor guy poor right? guy and um and so he's got to go and deliver this token to pollution mm-hmm. and and again we get this description of the weather that starts out it was a it was very early on saturday morning on the last day of the world and the sky mm-hmm. was redder than blood Yes. You know, and the sunsets caused by pollution, or I guess pollution influences the way we see the sunset. Makes them pretty. Makes them pretty. With all right? of that pollution. Yes. With all of that pollution, um, which was kind of, a, a, I think, an interesting way to frame mm-hmm. this particular encounter. Yeah. And I really do think it's interesting that the authors changed pestilence to pollution. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like how his signature on the delivery clipboard was like, morphing from one name to the other yeah you know that was pretty cool mm-hmm. um and then we get the delivery man's thoughts about the polluted river and he says well that's progress for you you can't stop progress yeah and i'm like well okay but is pollution like a disease or a plague of the modern world and mm-hmm. is that is that's why it's represented this way yeah, well, I mean, it's a disease that's killing the world. I mean, this is a big thing. This is a big theme throughout the whole thing. This is what Anathema talked to Adam about. This is what Adam is responding to when he saves all the whales, as we're going to see in a little bit. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting because it always was. It's pestilence. You know, we've got famine, war, death, all the same as in the Bible. Right. But pestilence now becomes pollution. And I guess one, because it's like one of these things is not like the other. Um, mm-hmm. That's a little weird. And also that like, what is the line? Is it because anathema is interested in pollution and, and, and environmental issues, which she then gets Adam into. 
And so one of the, it, it feels weird that all, that he's pollution instead of pestilence. Like it just stands out to me. Yeah. I, I thought, I've always thought it was, it was a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if I was naming horsemen, like one of them would be spam. Yes. Like, you know, yes. <laughs> so I guess it changes with the time. Um, but I got a little puzzled because mm-hmm. pollution's delivery item is a crown. Yes. Right. And so I'm not like a Revelation scholar or anything like that. But I, I was taught that like in the mm-hmm. book of Revelation, the, the pestilence horseman can be seen as conquest, as the Antichrist, um, or even as like a shadow form of Christ. And so mm-hmm. that's why he has the crown. Yeah. And a sword makes sense for war. And the scales mm-hmm. is like a hideous image for famine. But I can't quite figure out how a crown fits pollution. Uh, maybe because pollution is mostly, and uh, I'm stretching here, so mm-hmm. like, you know, hear me have absolutely nothing, but like uh, nothing to back this up really. Uh, but pollution is the result of corporate greed, oh. right? Yeah. Okay. And, actually, that works. You know, and so because pollution pays, that's why we have pollution, um, you know, because it pays. And so I don't know. Like I maybe I don't know. That's a stretch. It's a no, hell it's of a, a stretch. Good stretch. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good stretch because I was just coming up empty on that. But yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I think that's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah, that works. No, but I love this line though. He gazed at it when he gets the crown. He gazed at it for some seconds with satisfaction, then put it on. It glinted in the light of the rising sun. Then the tarnish, which had begun to suffuse its silver surface when his fingers touched it, spread to cover it completely. And the crown went black. Yeah. That is such a beautiful and evocative description. Um, and I really kind of love it. Just everything he touches mm-hmm. essentially gets tarnished. Yeah. You know, so he got this beautiful crown in the second he touched it. And we didn't really have anything like, I don't think that when, when war touched the sword, did it fundamentally change the nature of the sword? I don't think so. It didn't yeah, like so burst into flames or anything, right? It's kind of it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So it I don't is. know. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. And I I thought it was really interesting. Like as soon as he puts the crown on, yeah, said in his mind he knew where the four of them would be meeting and when, and he would have to hurry to get there by this afternoon. And the them was capitalized, right. mm-hmm. just like Adams the them, right? And we've got four, right? In the mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yep. And we've got four horse persons, three mm-hmm. coated male, and then yes. one for war coated female. And in mm-hmm. Adam's gang, we have three coated male and one coated female who's the fighter. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was just a really interesting parallel between this group of kids and the riders of the apocalypse. It is, but I don't know what it means. And I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's a really interesting parallel, but mm-hmm. it feels like they're not doing anything active with it. I don't know. Like, like aside from this maps to this mm-hmm. but i don't really know what it means yeah yeah are the four I'll... kids supposed to be the four horsemen as well oh, you know but the other three kids are supposed to be normal i, I have a is adam death or is adam pestilence pollution oh i don't like I... if pollution is if that's supposed to be the antichrist Christ. yeah then who does he map to and what does wensleydale map to and Brian, the other one who's just the, the, the most boring one of them all, you know? Yeah, I don't know. So they don't map. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know. I would map Wensleydale to death just because he's so practical. But I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know that it's a direct correlation. It was just an interesting echo. But so. it is but I mean it, it it's almost it's too close a reflection to not feel deliberate. Yeah. And yet not enough meat on the bone to feel like a payoff for that deliberateness. It's just weird. It's like, I don't know, and this is not off the table, that Pratchett and Gaiman are just fucking with us. Like, oh, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> just to drive the ones who ta- who dare to take it seriously. <laughs> just to make those assholes burn, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but what does it mean? Absolutely it mean? nothing. Which is the, <laughs> yeah, which basically like asking what it means in this book is basically just like standing up and saying, hi, I'm an asshole. Like I can't just <laughs> accept this for what it is. I have to find deeper meaning here. And that's that's what we do. So if that makes me an asshole, I gladly, I am the asshole of the, of the apocalypse. Of the, the four assholes of the apocalypse. <laughs> assholes that we got on this ship anyway enough (laughs) (laughs) oh my god random spaceballs quote okay then so now that we have established that amount of literary criticism we can follow the international express delivery man to death (laughs) right oh my god this is so kind of sweet and sad. sad and i'm like what does this delivery man think is going on like he seemed to know he was gonna die well, yeah, because he said he read the instructions, and then he, and then this is so sweet. So with his leaking pen, he wrote a brief note to Maud, his wife. It read simply, "I love you." Yeah, it was so sweet. It, it was, was so like sweet. a really sweet human moment in the face of death. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, <laughs> and I love that moment where he's like, "Oh, that one nearly had me," and then he's like, "Oh," <laughs> he's like, "Damn it." <laughs> It's kind of adorable. It's very Pratchett-esque. It was. It was a very Pratchett move. It was. Mm -hmm. But so death doesn't get a token, you know? And so I have a thing with death characters, right? Yes. Hades is my favorite myth. I love death in the Discworld series. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a character for whom I have a lot of curiosity and empathy. Everybody gets a present except death. It seems kind of unfair. Is his present the delivery guy? Well, I think that you get he to just kill gives him guy. a message. He just says, he gives a message oh, everywhere. Yeah, come and that's see. That's the message. Like, yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. So death doesn't get a present. And I'm like, <laughs> seems, I don't know. You know. You think you could at least bring him like a box of chocolates or something? Right. A cup of coffee. A little I mean, something. Something. Yeah. But it got me wondering. So he doesn't get a token of power. And that's mm-hmm. probably because he doesn't need one. Right. Because yeah. death mm-hmm. is always and everywhere. But well, because that... death is essentially the end of war, famine, pestilence, right? All lead to death. Right. So that that's also something that feels out of. It's like we have three specific paths to death, and then just the the catch all, just death, just, just whatever, death. you know. Just so well, maybe it's for anybody that too. like trips on the way that isn't caught up by one. Right, of the anybody who's not caught up by you know he's just he's just he's coming up, he's cleaning up behind, right? <laughs> But I mean, basically, they're all of them death. Right. Right. But it made me wonder. Yeah. So like, okay, he doesn't get this token of power. Mm-hmm. He's he's not like called into action. He always has been. Right. So is he a bringer of the apocalypse or is he just an observer? Mm. I don't know. Again, 
doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't get, and I mean, granted it's pulled from, you know, revelations, the four mm-hmm. horsemen, yeah. one of which it didn't make sense in revelations. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make literary sense now. Yes. I'm critiquing the people who wrote the Bible. Shut up. It's you mean, fine. You mean, fine. wait, wait, you mean the book of revelations isn't a linear, well-structured, clear narrative, Lonnie? What? No, the book of <laughs> revelations was written by somebody on a goddamn peyote trip and it's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. But I can no more take that seriously than I can this. And when you like, we have four horsemen, war, (laughs) famine, pestilence, and you know, death, death, like, who is different from the other four? You know, it's John Paul George, and then John Paul George, you know, it's like, (laughs) you don't need the other three, if you got the one, like, I don't know. So anyway, all of that to say, hi, I'm Lonnie. I'm an asshole. So, um, <laughs> all of that aside, uh, I, I do kind of love, and this is something that Pratchett does in his Discworld books with the character mm-hmm. of Depp, is that all of his dialogue is it doesn't have quotes and it's all caps, yes. which is such a beautifully evocative way to express the voice. And I love it. I do too. It, I was mm-hmm. thrilled to see it. And and this yeah. death reminds me a lot of the Discworld death too. Yes. It feels like the same guy. It feels like the same rubbed guy. Rubbed off he's... the serial numbers a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. it's the same guy. But he's very calm and he's mm-hmm. not evil. You know, yeah. he tells the delivery guy, he's like, don't think of it as dying. Just think of it as leaving early to avoid the rush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. It's all about how you frame it, right? You right. Know, just... Just reframe it. Yeah. Okay. But then I have a typography question. Yes. This has driven me insane. And I am not going to admit to the amount of time I have spent (laughs) fruitlessly on Google. Yeah. So if the answer to this question is incredibly obvious, like stretch it out a little so I don't feel incredibly stupid. Okay. Oh, I can almost guarantee you the number of questions I have about this entire reading that make me think like I don't understand anything I must be the stupidest human alive I can almost (laughs) guarantee you before you ask this question I have no idea but go go, (laughs) okay let's see okay so at the top of page 179 between the Mm -hmm. scene with the delivery man and death and the next scene with Shadwell there is a small harp and pitchfork graphic above death's thought and death thinks red sky in the morning it was going to rain Mm -hmm. so I was like okay why are these symbols here? So I looked back and the symbols appear in the text in several places, in addition mm-hmm. to the section break cover pages, like for Wednesday, yes. Thursday, and Friday. They are randomly scattered throughout the text. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is about typography or page spacing. And they seem random and like no Googling has delivered an answer to this. Mm-hmm. But I wish that the lines either before or after those icons, like if you wrote Mm -hmm. those lines out together, that they would make like a poem or a secret message or like a mini story, because that would be goddamn delightful. But I cannot make any sense out of them. I have literally no idea. I mean, they seem to just show up between, but they don't show up between all the breaks. Mm -mm. They only show up between some of, the breaks yeah and this one is so weird and in my copy uh the little icons aren't there really and and it just has red sky in the morning it was going to rain this is the entire segment 
red sky in the morning it was going to rain which was in all caps right so it seems to be death's thoughts yes but the first couple words of every new thing is also all caps correct but only the first two words of every other new thing so to have it be all of it and it's in a different font the whole lot it's and then just after that it just says yes yes like, this is why I think that Gaiman and Pratchett are just fucking with us. <laughs> just fucking. They're like, like let's yes. throw in this weird shit that doesn't make any sense so that the, the assholes who are trying to understand it <laughs> spend all day going, well, I believe that the pitchfork icon represents <laughs> no, dissatisfaction with the doing. human condition. Yes, this and is the problem. Because yes, exactly. I'm exactly. like, red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Okay, yes. death is talking about the ocean and they're going to rise. And like, maybe this is symbolic. Maybe the symbols appear every time it's a breaking of a seal. Like, I'm going all over the place. I think it is just complete random silliness. But well, it's, it's random and in my crazy. copy, <laughs> there isn't one there what the because hell? they're fucking with us. <laughs> they're basically, what they're saying is that life is random and there is no meaning and stop <laughs> trying to figure it out. They are I think so, so messing with me. <laughs> they are. They're they just, really are. I, I, I don't. And you know what? I'm at the point where I'm like, okay. sure when we get to talking about a cucumber frame i'll mention i don't know i don't know what the hell this is there's there's some lines in here i'm gonna bring them up because when we get there i'll bring up the weirdness when i get there and i'll be like i don't even know what that is um some of it is british stuff some of Mm -hmm. it is just overall weirdness i think that these guys were just having a good goddamn time and possibly some of these things may be inside jokes between the two of them and they're just like, yeah, go ahead. Try to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. Well, I'm glad it's not just me. I'm glad it's not nope. just me. Nope. I am, I am so confused while reading this stuff that I, I spent a lot of time in this reading going, am I phenomenally stupid? No. Did <laughs> okay. I? Okay. Did my brain just stop working? <laughs> For the record, you are neither stupid nor an asshole. So. Oh, no. I can be both at times. <laughs> I'm complicated. I contain multitudes. <laughs> I'm Walt goddamn Whitman. Um, but all of it, as I'm reading, not all of it, but a bunch of it, like every now and again, there'd be this little thing. And I'd be like, what does that mean? What is that? I don't understand what this, these words, like I'm looking at this, there's this one sentence and we'll get to it when we get to it, that I'm like, I don't even understand what that, like, what does that mean? All right. Yeah. So let's keep talking okay. so I can get to the sentence. We're about I'm just to saying, get to like, that sentence. I don't understand anything in this. Yeah. Well, pe- so don't come to of, me for answers. I have yeah, no idea. Speaking of things I don't understand. We then shift to Shadwell, Newt, and Agnes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it said on page 182 in my copy, Shad- <laughs> Shadwell had accepted the invention of the patent cigarette lighter in the same way that conventional soldiers welcomed the repeating rifle. And I was like, Shadwell, you motherfucker, I really hate you. Yes, a lot. all these jokes about burning women alive. Like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I, I and this is another thing. Like this is the thing about this this book is it makes me question myself as a person with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like I feel very strongly about a lot of things. I know sometimes I get all worked up about these things. Burning women alive is just not something that I find funny. No matter how many times we try to make these jokes about, oh my god, isn't it funny how Shadwell likes to burn women alive? It's just not 
funny to me. I just don't, yeah. I can't. It's yeah. just not, especially now. Yeah. Like maybe when they wrote this book, the world was a nicer place. I don't know. It wasn't. I am convinced that in the 90s we were all assholes because all of the things that are like said and referenced and certain words that are used yeah, throughout this. Yeah, that's true. That I'm I'm just like, I know in the And when I watch Friends, when I watch any shows from the 90s, mm-hmm. like the things that people said, the way, like, it's just, we were terrible fucking people in the 90s. And so they're just, you know, product of their environment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I wanted to like sit Newt down and have a little chat. Uh huh. Because Newt is incredibly good at rationalizing his choices. Yeah. Right. So he's thinking about being in the Witchfinder's Army. And it says the way Newt looked at it, it was like being in one of those organizations like the Seal Knot or those people who kept on refighting the American Civil War. It got you out on weekends and meant you were keeping alive fine old traditions that had made Western civilization what it was today. And I'm like, no, Newt. No, that is not what that means. (laughs) <laughs> They're not fine traditions. Yeah. They are old traditions, and they do make Western civilization what it is today, which is filled with assholes. Yeah, but it's not a good thing, Newt. Like, no, it's not a good thing. But you know those, you know those Captain America recruiting videos, like the little uh-huh. videos. So I read this, like, keep these traditions alive. Come join yeah. the Witchfinder Army. Like I now see that in caps face like yeah. captain america oh. making the promotion videos i'm like no yeah. no, no this is just wrong it's not okay <laughs> but it's then okay. he he threw his firelighters away so yes so there was that when he threw them out the window i was like yeah All right. so newt isn't yeah. the actual worst but damn no. he's just the actual most passive yes so incredibly passive and then yeah. we go back to shadwell who is the actual worst and he's yes you know, rhapsodizing about these witchfinder pins, these little, you know, needles uh-huh. that yeah. you jab into a woman you suspect being a witch. And if they feel nothing, then they're a witch. And right. so I, I had a couple of thoughts about this. Yeah. One is I have this really cool place on my hip that is completely mm-hmm. and totally numb from nerve damage wow. from surgery. You can uh-huh. literally jab a giant <gasps> okay. ass pin in there and I will feel nothing. So I think i'm a witch and right. that's pretty cool well but the thing they didn't do here which is what they would ordinarily do is that if she feels nothing she's a witch but if she jumps she's also a witch <laughs> <laughs> because that's usually how this works like well, if she sinks she's a witch or right. what was it if she floats she's a witch if she sinks and drowns she's innocent right exactly <laughs> which yay either way the woman dies but then they had those assholes yeah. that had the retractable pins so then yes. she would feel nothing right little right. bastard but then exactly. i got to thinking well are they making a very uncomfortable metaphor here for if you penetrate a woman and she doesn't feel pleasure and it threatens your manhood then you have to burn her alive oh my god i'm just saying yes sounds like the goddamn patriarchy to me right like if she doesn't make the happy noises you want or the shrieks that you want then you set her aflame and that is how you protect your manhood right so she feels nothing she's a witch and if she screams in pain because you just stabbed her with a sharp object she's obviously at least at (laughs) least you know that you were able to cause her some pain right Right? there's no way in which the woman gets out of this without at the very least a a minor injury yeah you know um except for one 
So they, they said in all yeah. their history, <laughs> I did like this. One I woman like that claimed too. that the pen cleared up the arthritis in her leg. Her mm-hmm. name was Agnes Nutter, and she was the Witchfinder Army's greatest failure. Goddamn right. <laughs> I love Agnes. I do too. Agnes is fantastic. <laughs> okay, but here, okay, now let's get to the sentence okay. right, that I read. I seriously read this like 45 times. And when I read it to you, you're going to be like, oh, well, this is how you read that. And it's going to make sense. But um, so he's looking for, he's, uh, after Newt had driven off, Shadwell thought of something, something that he'd never had the chance to do before. What he needed now is a pin, not a military issue pin, which is for the use of. Mm-hmm. That's not a military issue pin, comma, which is, comma, for the use of. What? Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense to you or is that just me? No, it doesn't make sense. It's unless not a you, sentence. Unless you fill in the commas, like you need some parentheses in there. Yeah. Like the military pin is, which is for the use of, like for the use of witches. But the way that uh-huh. it's written it's Makes written no like it's an index at the end of a yeah which is fourth use of you know yeah no uh, it doesn't make any sense to me and i'm like did did they have an editor did, the editor be like... <laughs> did somebody edit it or were they like oh game in pratchett printed money i'm gonna just hang out here today <laughs> write whatever you want fellas just keep the words coming like i don't Okay, anyway, so this is a minor point that doesn't matter at all, and I've already wasted everybody's time with it, but it's that kind of stuff. This is the kind of thing, like, coming through this reading, I every now and again I hit something like that, and I, I seriously have to spend, like, 20 minutes being like, what am I not seeing? How do I not understand this? Yeah. And it's because it's not actual English. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. The Witchfinder Army was good at many things, but grammar was not one of them. Uh, apparently yeah i don't know <laughs> you know and and like we said agnes being burned alive is not funny but the storytelling no. is snarky and and snappy it is and it makes me laugh that she was so nonchalant about it and oh no i love her that she yeah. blew up the whole village in the process and the she woman did. hid gunpowder in her petticoat and come on like that is awesome yes <laughs> it is full of badass now here's the thing I, I had a moment of conflict, mm-hmm. of inner turmoil with mm-hmm. this, just because it reads like a suicide vest in terrorism, right? You know, um, it's not because in order for this to go off, people have to light her on fire first, right? Right. So, so it's okay. But like, she filled it with, you know, shrapnel, like, so that it would absolutely kill it. Because it's not just gunpowder. It's like old nails. Yeah, she was, she made sure that everybody, you know, nobody, nobody got out of that without at least some very serious injuries. And you know what, fine, because they were in the process of lighting her on fire. Mm -hmm. Like, in that case, okay. But I, I, I was a little torn on it until I thought about the fact that they would have been fine had they not lit a woman on fire and they got what they deserved. And so fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Still, I, I had a moment of pause. With I did that. too, especially with the shrapnel. Um, but then I was like, well, she knew they were coming for her. She knew this was how she was going to die. And I think this yeah. was her way of also protecting other witches and her descendants. Yes. Like think twice before you set a woman on fire because you might explode. 
Right. Or think twice before you set a woman on fire because don't set women on fire. <laughs> oh, you expect way too much from society. Like, I come on. Way too much. But also, I just want to like spend just a quick second uh-huh. on one of their little asides, one of their little footnotes uh-huh. about British money. <laughs> And I would just like to say, what the fuck British money? Because they have this whole thing. They're like, two farthings equals one haypenny. Two haypennies, one penny. Three pennies, a threepenny bit. Two threepence is a sixpence. Two sixpence is a shilling or bob. Two bob, a florin. One florin and one sixpence, half a crown. This whole thing. They go through this whole thing, right? And I'm like, is that the joke? Like, are they joking? Are they exaggerating the way the British money works? And no, they're not. I looked it up. <laughs> nope. That's actual British money. That's actually how it worked. Kind of. I understand. Because I, I looked it up and I was like, and I, I had, there was a whole bunch of stuff and they were like, and that mapped and that mapped and that mapped. And after a certain point, my brain just shut off and I'm like, all right, fine. So, I mean, <laughs> but the joke seems to be, yes, this is absolutely insane. This whole British money thing. you know. <laughs> I like that little. Whereas me, I'm here in America being like, the dime is worth more than the nickel. Why is it smaller than the nickel? Like that. That confuses me about American money. Yeah, <laughs> like, why is it smaller than the nickel? Day. That has I always confused me. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> it it doesn't no make sense. that to me was really confusing. Like my whole life, I've been very confused by American money. Mm-hmm. Had I lived in Britain at any point, <laughs> I would have been like, you know what? Fuck it. Like there's, I think right about two sixpences is where I hit my fuck it. You know, like, I'm just like, I can't. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know what this means. So anybody out there who is, you know, from the UK, who has some kind of idea about all of this and is highly offended that we're making fun of it. Look, I don't get my money either. I don't get American money either. None of it makes any sense to me. So no, I'm just saying it doesn't. And yeah. very little else in this section makes sense because now the world is kind of going crazy. Yeah, this is when everything sort of starts uh, getting topsy-turvy. Yes. So this is what happens when 11-year-olds gain control of the universe. And (laughs) (laughs) poor Newt, he's like driving. And then there's aliens. And (laughs) aliens. They're very polite. All of a sudden. They're very polite. And and also making a serious point about the way in which we are treating our planet. Yes. Um, Yeah. And and my big intellectual takeaway from that is I think the pepper pot shaped one is a Dalek. Oh, it's a, a Dalek? Yeah. Is it Dalek or Dalek? I can't remember. I always from say Dalek, but I probably say it yeah. wrong. But uh, yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Because if, if it just would have pulled up and been like holding up a cup of coffee and said like caffeinate, like I just would have died of happiness. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. And the Daleks, I mean... A toilet plunger and a whisk. Yes. Like, they're not that scary. They look like they're coming to clean your house. <laughs> Honestly. Except they will exterminate you. But They will exterminate the ants, and then they will clean up. <laughs> but these aliens are, you know, they're concerned about Earth, and they're very polite, and they have positive messages to share. And, yes, And they Newt do. is just like, okay. Like, he just <laughs> kind of rolls with it. Well, I guess you roll with it at a certain point. I think you, <laughs> like, I think you just roll with it. And But I, I did get this one kick out of this one aside when he was thinking mm-hmm. to himself. And he was like, and I can't even tell Shadwell because he'd probably ball me out for not counting their nipples. All right. <laughs> well, I like that. Newt, Newt has, a, has an inner sense of snark. Yes, he you know, does. Which I like because up until now... Newt is a little bit of a wet paper towel. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, 
He he there's still not is. much to him. He's there's yeah. not much to Newt. Um yeah. and then, you know, he crashes into the Tibetan tunneler, um, mm-hmm. distracting Adam and the gang from their in depth discussion of rainforest and whales, and they help him to Ananthema's cottage. And um, I like this. <laughs> the them dragged the door open and pulled out the unconscious Newt. Visions of metal for heroic rescue thronged Adam's head. Practical considerations of first aid thronged around that of Wensleydale. <laughs> <laughs> so of course cute. they did. His name is Wensleydale. <laughs> I was so cute. And then, you know, Ananthema is already waiting <laughs> for them yes. in front of a table mm-hmm. covered with all the first aid stuff, which I thought was really yes. great. Mm-hmm. No, I like this. And I mean, the thing is, like, you know, when I first started reading it and I'm like, aliens? I'm like, <laughs> and there's Tibetans tunneling up through the, and then I'm like, of course, Adam's powers, this is all his imagination. Mm-hmm. And so these things are happening. And, you know, and then I'm like, okay, all right. It's weird, mm-hmm. but okay. Um, and then we had this nice little moment from Pepper, right? Yeah. Where she was talking about the witches. And she says, my mother said they were just intelligent women protesting in the only way open to them against the stifling injustices of a male-dominated social hierarchy. And I was like, go, Pepper's mom. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done, lady. Yep. You know? Um, so I thought that was pretty good. But also, um, let's take just a moment to acknowledge mm-hmm. that uh, pretty much all of the jokes around the wasabi yeah. are racist and really uncomfortable and not terribly funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I, here's the thing. This was written in the 90s. And again, like the whole terroir thing, you know, what's in the culture gets in the stories. Like, I get it. It happens. Um, it's not a condemnation of Gaiman or Pratchett. They're not racist, sexist assholes. They're just writers who were doing a thing and did not realize some of the words they were using. Maybe or or, or maybe like it did to a certain. And that's part of the what they're making fun of, you mm-hmm. know, is that these, you know, so like but a lot of it is just not comfortable because the realities that are behind all these things are making fun of for me are just like a little bit uncomfortable the the burning of women yeah you know especially because it's not like we're not persecuting women right now today yeah you know um there are laws being passed all over america that are going to kill women yeah. uh for getting pregnant you know so um so i mean that's the kind of thing that's happening right now so to me these things become less funny because they are not distant. And I think that in the nineties, we believed that they were distant, Yeah, you know, and so you could make fun of them. Um, you know, we, we believed that racism wasn't as much of a thing as it was. We, and by we, I mean white people, right. right. You know, um, everybody else pretty much knew. Um, <laughs> so I'm, so I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't want to sit here and throw out like a million condemnations over this racist line and that racist line. of that. So I'm just saying like right now, if some of this reading bothered you, if some of it wasn't funny, if some of it was personally hurtful, if some of it felt really racist, yes, we're absolutely like, I'm absolutely with you. I 100% support that that response. But if we call out every single little instance of it, then that is the only thing we're going to do in this podcast. Yeah. So, um, so I just want to say it's acknowledged. We see it. Uh, the wasabi stuff is bad. Um, and there's lots of other stuff that is also bad. Um, but these, like the little lines and the little asides, you know, like there's so many of them and it is like Lucy and Ethel in the chocolate shop. Yeah. I had started (laughs) making a list and I just gave up. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a particular word that they use for, uh, people who are, uh, developmentally disabled, which I don't care for. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that I just, I just don't think it's funny. 
Yeah. You know, and and so like I I'm sorry if I've lost my sense of humor or whatever, but a lot of the stuff I find to be um to be thoughtless in the face of the fact that this kind of treatment of human people, this kind of of thing that that rests on the belief in a hierarchy of human value is still happening. You know, uh, maybe you can make fun of it when it's not happening anymore and enough time has passed for people to heal, but it's still happening and it's still offensive. And so that's just, I just want to kind of throw that out there. That's okay. It teased me up for something that really bothered me a lot uh, okay. that I was going to rant about. So. All right. Go. You rant. I love it. <laughs> we get to Anathema Newt. And she's disappointed in him mm-hmm. because. Yes. But she's going to. Because he's a big, wet piece of toilet yeah, paper. Yeah. But she's going to mm-hmm. take him in and whatever, whatever spoilers in the next section anyway, because yeah. it's in the book. And I was like, okay, stop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this feels way too much like the patriarchal Disney version, twisted little girl bedtime stories, romancing the idea of just wait, the right man will find you. Or mm-hmm. the idea of being with a certain man because it's your duty. And I'm like, okay, yes. no, like, no. And and it, I don't know why it throws me out of the story and pisses me off so much, but it does. And also... Does free will lose its power in the face of prophecy? Because I don't think it should. Well, the prophecy should take into account the free will. So this happens because she's going to choose for it to happen. But she chooses for it to happen because it's in the book. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, And she, it seems to me like she's more resigned to it than saying yep let's do it yeah because this is my fate and you're my one true you know she's just more like everything else she said comes so i guess i'm gonna sleep with this guy you know like that seems to be more the attitude she has um although at the same time she is um you know she is actively pursuing these, I mean, she didn't have to come to Tad. What is she coming to Tadfield for? Is she trying to stop it? She just knows these things are going to happen. So she's doing them because she was told they were going to happen. But is, is she doing them because she was told they were going to happen? Yeah. Like, you know, so it is It is kind of difficult. And especially because, you know, it, it's it's very much predicated on the idea that, that anathema is very invested in this idea of fate. These things are going to happen because they were foretold and there's nothing I can do about it. And yet, when Newt says, could be fate, Anathema says, no such thing. Right? I'm like, so I'm like well, well, pick a that side, ironic? baby. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, either you believe that it's fate and you're stuck with this potato, or you don't believe that it's fate. And then you don't have to be stuck with that potato. Yeah. You know? So I'm not really sure. I don't know. Yeah. I just wanted to put a great big footnote at the bottom of the page. Say, look, if you're with a person who you actually don't really care for, don't sleep with them. You don't have to. You don't have for to. For any reason. You don't have to sleep with them. No, you absolutely don't. But the, And there's this moment, too, where she has this thought looking at him. She's like, I suppose I meant to feel a wave of warm, tender female something or other about this, she thought. I just wish he'd wash his socks. You know, because he comes in looking like, you know, and then he's and then he makes a point that like, you know, he knew he was in a woman's room because it didn't smell of like old T-shirts or something, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you why do you live like this? Right. Why do you, you know, men have as much access to like clean stuff as anybody else. Like, 
Okay, and I'm not saying every man out there is going to be like, oh, I do laundry. You know, okay, fine. Like, you're the individual, whatever. I'm just saying that, like, this particular brand of male is something with which I am familiar because there are a lot of them out there. Yeah. You know? And if I um, see somebody with holes in their socks, am I supposed to get warm, tender feelings to want to darn those socks? Because, no, sugar, that has right, never happened right. to me. <laughs> because the warm, tender female feelings are, please let me take care of you and fix everything for you while you do what exactly? Because Newt is not bringing a lot to this relationship. <laughs> she has all the knowledge. She has all the agency. She has all the, like, pep and interest, and he is a big potato. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It just really pissed me off. But Yeah, I don't blame (laughs) you. But I was intrigued by this little comparison between Newt and Adam. Mm -hmm. So, it says Newt loves computers, but, you know, he's terrible at using them. He has rotten luck buying them. But he persevered because he believed. And then mm-hmm. it says Adam had a small computer that he used for playing video games. And for him, the games are just as easy as breathing. And he's shocked that it's not that easy for everybody else. Mm-hmm. He says, all you have to do is learn to play it. And then it's just easy. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, is this just the simple fact that here's a kid who can manipulate reality and is super gifted and whatever? Or is there something deeper here about belief versus innate gifts and passion and work versus talent? And I think Mm -hmm. I keep reading too deeply in this book and it's not meant to be read that way. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. And I'll say this again, that they're just fucking with us. Um, No, I think this is actually a really interesting read here, you know, um, because this idea of Newt loves computers, but they actively antagonize him. And meanwhile, Adam is you know it just plays them and whatever but he's also not as passionate about it because it's easy right and so more than like you know passion and and putting work into something versus talent it seems to me that it's it's the things that come easily don't engage you as much you know that when something is challenging it becomes more interesting and the idea of playing all these games and of course you know for adam everything's easy because he just his his ability to just make things easy because he doesn't want to face the challenge Mm -hmm. meanwhile newt goes head first that's the one thing i like about newt i mean newt's not entirely a big mash (laughs) um but I mean, he he goes headlong into these things that actively um, push him away. You know, I mean, when in the description of the car, when you weed out all the racist bullshit, the description of the car is just a car that is not at all happy about him. You know, is not at all into <laughs> serving him. You know, the car is actively antagonistic. The computers are actively antagonistic toward Newt, you know. Um, And yet Newt pursues them anyway. He loves them anyway Mm -hmm. because they challenge him. And so I think that there is something about things that don't challenge us bore us. And I think that Adam's bored by all this stuff because it doesn't challenge him, but he doesn't seek out the challenge. Whereas Newt seeks out the challenge. And I kind of like that about Newt. Yeah, I kind of do too. And I really enjoyed Anathema trying to explain Agnes Nutter to Newt. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) The book said, (laughs) most psychic abilities are caused by a simple lack of temporal focus. And the mind of Agnes Nutter was so far adrift in time that she was considered pretty mad, even by the standards of 17th century Lancashire, where mad prophetesses were a growth industry. (laughs) I love that. Where mad prophetesses were a growth (laughs) industry. This is the thing. 
like whatever it is that you know with all of it this the phrasing the certain kinds of phrasing are just so delightful it's so good you know every now and again they're just goddamn delightful i know and they were saying yeah. how her predictions can only be understood after they've happened right. like for 1972 she said do not buy betamax and <laughs> so tickled. i was like my parents should have listened to that one right goodbye dance recital tapes that's the only form we have you in um Mm -hmm. but then i was really intrigued because anathema said that agnes didn't see the future she remembered it right and this whole idea of memory versus premonition like Uh remembering down an ancestral line or the that line between memory and foresight i thought was fascinating and then Anant- it's interesting yeah. yeah and then anathema said it's not enough to know what the future is you have to know what it means mm-hmm. and i'm like see i'm looking for meaning in this book and then i think they're like yeah except not here like <laughs> <laughs> well see they're saying that because they're trying to fuck with you they're like oh no we're gonna pretend here that we value meaning and that it all means something just to keep you digging into this stuff like an asshole (laughs) trying to figure (laughs) out what's going on um so these guys are actively screwing with us yes absolutely (laughs) and you know what fine Fine. gaming pratchett i'm in i'm I'm in in. it's fine i'll see you (laughs) i'll see your whatever and raise you whatever yeah let's do it (laughs) I also really like this moment from Newt when he's talking about Agnes Nutter. He says, what a nice person, said Newt. You could almost overlook her blowing up an entire village. And I'm like, yes, because she didn't. They lit her on fire. (laughs) They blew up the village. Yeah. With her in it. But they blew up the village. She, you know, she, of course, you know, they didn't realize it. They thought they were just lighting a woman on fire, but they got what they deserved. So I'm kind of like. All right. In fairness, the entire village was lighting her on fire at the time. So let's just not forget about that. Yeah. Doesn't take away from Agnes's niceness, yeah. you know, uh, being nice and being a doormat. Two different things. Yes. Um, correct. You know, <laughs> so yes, those are, these are things that we need to kind of like just consider when we're judging Agnes for filling her skirts full of black powder. <laughs> and I, I did like Anathema and Newt talking about the challenge of deciphering t- newspapers and they yes. said, Aww. do you know how long it takes to go through every daily paper thoroughly every morning? And without missing a beat, Newt said, three hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was like, maybe they can work together well. Maybe there's they some, kinda do. something. I don't know. He's, he's winning me over. He's not winning me over. No. He's winning me over a little bit. <laughs> I hate him less. <laughs> okay all right that's good but i got a kick out of some of the family notes on agnes's prophecies yes. like mm-hmm. trying to read her prophecies makes me go cross-eyed but some of the little additions that you know descendants have have made when she's got this long thing about i see four writing bringing the end and the angels of hell ride with them and blah 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 and Quincy Device in 1789 wrote, I feel good Agnes had drunk well this night. And, <laughs> and then in 1854, Miss O.J. Device said, I concur. We are all human, alas. <laughs> I love these ongoing conversations through time from yeah, the people reading this book. With all the devices. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but then we get back to kind of my favorite 
thing about Adam, because Anathema and New can't figure out why things are centered on Lower Tadfield. You know, mm-hmm. it's protected by good weather and it seems to be guarded against change. But Anathema doesn't sense evil, only love. And she mm-hmm. tells Newt, something or someone loves this place, loves every inch of it so powerfully that it shields and protects it. A deep down, huge, fierce love. How can anything bad start here? It's a kid's paradise. And then mm-hmm. as soon as she starts thinking about the local kids, she loses all those thoughts. Yes. But again. No, that's really interesting. Yeah. All mm-hmm. she senses from Adam is love. Yeah. You know, but then when we shift to Adam here at the quarry, right? Mm-hmm. I I know this is when he turns scary, but I actually yeah. feel terrible for him. Like this child is being invaded and he's mm-hmm. hurt and he's filled with anger and sadness. And there's this voice in his head. And like, I know he's mm-hmm. the Antichrist and all, but I, it's like adulthood hit him with a brick. Yeah. You know, and he starts to yeah. see the world as it really is. And then that shadow of hurt fills him. And so shadow fills the world. And his friends are afraid of him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And to me, it felt like Adam's first experience of grief. Yeah. You know, and then he reacts. That opens him up to this power, you know. Right. He says, mm-hmm. it seems to me it ought to be rolled up and started over again. And that did not sound like Adam's voice. Right. But the quote that really got me was, there was a look in Adam's eyes that his friends couldn't quite fathom. Not devilment, because that was more or less there all the time, but a sort of blank grayness that was far worse. Right. And so it's kind of that slide from childish wickedness to sort of despairing grief that I think we're Mm -hmm. seeing Adam go through. Because even when he wants to start ending and recreating the world, he still wants to make sure his friends are okay. You know, he wants to give yeah, he a whole continent to dogs so he can chase kangaroos and whatever. <laughs> um, right. But that anger has woken up his power, you know. But it's interesting to me that even in that dark, twisted way, he's still motivated by love. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't want it in the world because he hates it. He wants to end the world because he loves it. And he wants to remake right. it better. And he's angry at the mm-hmm. people that he thinks, you know, have messed it up. Yeah. And so, and, and I mean, he's operating with all of 11 years of life experience. And if someone gave me that power at 41, I'd probably blow us all right. off the face of the planet. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> at, and I know like the other kids are terrified and dog is terrified. But at this point in the story, I'm more afraid for Adam than I am of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, and when you think about it, like, okay, he's the Antichrist. He's the spawn of Satan. Right. But He's not a bad kid. Right. Like, he's just a kid. You know, he can't help what he was born as, you know. Um, And to have, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, having the power to remake the world the way that you see fit. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody thinks that what they would do, given that power, would be good and right and just. You know? Oh, I don't. I, but... I know it would be a disaster. <laughs> Uh, I'm warning uh, everybody uh, now. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Anybody gives me that power, oh y'all are going down. Um yeah, I I mean I think that that anything that anybody would do to force the world to be the way that they see fit, mm-hmm. you know, is dangerous. Is truly truly dangerous. And I think that there's a complicated like we still as a as a species have not figured that out yeah you know 
Um, we as a species are constantly vying for the power to make the world the way that we think it should be, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times for a lot of people, especially the kind of people that would chase power, um, it, that the answer to that is, so it benefits me, you know, the most so that I can, you know, have the most toys. Or if I'm a legislator in Georgia, so I can control women's bodies. Can, so I can control women's bodies. Yeah. So like all of these things, um, what people do with power when they get it is almost like, you know, absolute power corrupts, Mm -hmm. like power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I don't know what that's from. I'm (laughs) sure somebody knows the quote. I'm citing it from, I don't know. I'm not citing it. I'm quoting it. I don't remember where it's from. (laughs) But, but I mean, when you actually have a meditation on what power does and here he has this like incredible amount of power, which up until this point has protected has made ideal this one little place on the planet. Right. You know, that's what he did with that power. And so now he's coming into his full power and it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it is, in essence, his full power is at its core a dark power. You know, so what do you do with that? And this kid being taken over by it, is that him or is that the power talking? Right. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. I don't think anything I said actually makes much sense or that there's an actual point there. I'm just kind of rambling about power, but, um, but I mean, it is, it is essentially corrupting him in his soul. And even then he is still trying to protect those that he loves. Yeah. So, um, so that seems to be the real, the real fight is between love and the, the pull for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's it's just yeah. really interesting because you see mm-hmm. him, things are happening based on the heart of an 11 year old, basically, you know, who's like, well, let's save the whales. Yeah. Well, now we've got a deeper ocean and apparently that's waking up a Kraken. Um, and yeah. <laughs> you know, the, there's new rainforest and it's storming and trees are growing around some dude named Jamie Hernandez in the plaza. <laughs> and and I sort of love Jamie for cracking the dome yeah. with his broom so his tree could have sunlight. Yeah. And then I started wondering, okay, if I'm sitting outside and I'm on my bench and I'm reading my book and the trees around me start growing, how do I react to that? I don't know. I think that you react the way he did. <laughs> when the world goes insane, you just roll with it. Right. Like, I think that, like, there's nothing else to be doing. Uh, there was this point, though, where we have this little meditation from Jamie where he says, there were times when you needed trees and the shame of it, Jamie thought, was that his children were growing up thinking of trees as firewood and his grandchildren would think of trees as history. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God, sometimes this book really hurts. Yeah. Because these are things that these guys, I mean, these guys are talking a lot about the environment mm-hmm. and the, the terrible, terrible things that we're doing to the environment. All the way where they, they renamed one of the horsemen to pollution. Yeah. You know? Um, so this commentary, as we sit here on the edge of, you know, climate destruction, like there are, people are already dying from this. This isn't something that is going to happen. This is something that has been happening, that has been killing people all over the world. So the kind of thing that seems like a a cute little twist on an idea, like in the 90s, you know, uh, that his grandchildren would think of trees as history said almost tongue in cheek, uh, like that will never happen because, you know, we'll get it together before then. Um, Now we're getting very, very close to that danger. And it's scary. 
so when this line that I think was written with kind of a, a humorous bit of snark is actually kind of terrifying. Yeah, it is. I mean, it mm-hmm. is kind of scary. I think reading this book as many years after it's been written, yeah. that you would hope the world would be better than the time yeah. when it was written. And that's not the case. And it is not. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of scary. Um, mm-hmm. But I did love the poetic shout out. Because yeah. when they were talking about the the Kraken, they quoted yes. um, beneath the thunders of the upper deep, Aziraphale and Tennyson both knew far, far beneath in the <laughs> abysmal sea, the Kraken sleepeth. And I just love this Aziraphale and Tennyson. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but then, of course, I had to go reread the Kraken. Mm-hmm. And the end of it is, until the latter fire shall heat the deep. Then once by man and angels to be seen, in roaring he shall rise and on the surface die. Mm. And I love that by man and angels to be seen, with Aziraphale yeah. being tied in to Tennyson. Yeah. So I had like a little mm-hmm. moment of poetic happiness in the middle of all this Aww. silliness so nice. <laughs> and sadness. And all of this silliness. All of this craziness. I was like, yes, 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 the world is going to hell, but can we talk about Tennyson? Like... <laughs> No, I love that. And then I especially love looking at our script, right? Because you're pulling all of this deep reference to Tennyson and you're going and looking up and researching stuff. And I, of course, am responding to technology. Um, So we have this line. The captain glared at several million yen worth of cutting edge technology and thumped it. And I was like, why don't you just turn it off and turn it back on and see what happens? Well, what's funny now is every time I read something about old technology, I think of you and I start laughing. I know. I love it. I love it. But it's so funny because you're all like, you know, like into the the art and the poetry and the research. And I'm just like, oh, look, technology. (laughs) Well, and then I had to rant at Newt again. So we we switched back over to Anantham and Newt. Newt Mm -hmm. is just not going to catch a break for me. Um, he is not taking the end of the world very well, right? Yeah. He realizes mm-hmm. he's got five hours left to live and he wants to start drinking. But it says he was in the mood in which people burned witches. His life was complicated mm-hmm. enough without it being manipulated across the centuries by some crazed old woman. And I was like, okay, stop. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we... Maybe for a few pages, stop blaming women for every damn thing. Like, yeah, she's the goddamn messenger, you asshole. Right? You like, know? maybe just this try is not it. her fault nor her doing. Yeah, she just was the one who told you about it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, and then I was kind of wondering, like, how would I react to all this phenomena? Because Newt mm-hmm. tries to rationalize it away, you know, or convince himself it's nothing or ignore it. And then he falls both into regret and desire at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and like if I knew I had five hours left on this earth and the world was going crazy and the heavens were crashing down, like I know how I would want to spend those last five hours. But mm-hmm. would it really seem real? Like can the human brain process that kind of crash of reality? Yeah, And so it's just sort of interesting to think, okay, I'm driving home from work and there's these aliens. Am I just going to roll with it? Like, am I going to freak out? I'm I'm very curious, Lonnie, about how I will last in an apocalypse. Yeah, I've always known that I'm like the first one off the lifeboat in any kind of crisis. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like, what is my value? (laughs) I can watch Buffy. (laughs) 
and talk about it. Oh no! Like what? Do, like what do I actually? If we have to do? fight, like in a zombie apocalypse or the Hunger Games, like just put me out right. on the first line. Don't feel bad oh, no, about I'm it. The first one. I'm done. I'm the one. Everybody else can run faster than me. Yeah. I'm the one you knock down so that I get killed yes. first. And you know what? I'm in. Me too. Because I don't want to run from monsters for the rest of my. Life. I don't want to live in the Walking no. Dead. I want to be the one who dies the first episode. Me too. Because putting pulling up with that, that's crazy. Yeah. But like, I don't want to live but like this that. This kind yeah. of apocalypse, like. They're mm-hmm. not yet in active dangers. There's just all this crazy stuff right. going on. And I'm like, mm-hmm. huh. I just, I'm just really curious. <laughs> well, also, it's because the thing is, it's about like action, right? Okay. Like, what defines a protagonist? Well, one of the things that defines a protagonist is de- defined by three things P- like point of view character, that um, they have the most at stake, and they have like an active goal. They're, they're providing the motive force for the story. So here we have Anathema and Newt. And at this point, I don't feel like there is an active goal that Anathema just knows this stuff is going to happen. So she's just writing because she's been reading about this her whole life and she's just always known. Newt is in this situation, but it's not like anybody is saying, okay, here's the thing that's happening and we need to stop it. I think Anathema is getting closest to it because she's having these thoughts, Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. You know, what about the kids? And then she can't think about it anymore because Adam is shielded, you know? Um, But nobody's really trying to stop anything. So there's not, they don't have a goal. There's nothing, you, you can't escape it. The world is ending. This is it, you know? So it is a little bit weird like narratively what's going on with these characters that they, they should be in pursuit of something at this point. And there's no clarity on whether anathema anathema is actively trying to decipher all of these things, but she has known that this is going to happen at this particular time to the point where he was a half hour late and she was waiting with bandages and aspirin, you know? Um, So all of it is, uh, just a little bit strange and I'm not really sure like narratively even and Crowley and Aziraphale who are our closest like those are our protagonists you know Crowley is the one who's been trying to kind of like subvert this thing all along he's really the only one with an actual goal and taking actual action mm-hmm. um, until Aziraphale notifies uh, heaven about the Antichrist and where he is and all of that but heaven of course is not interested we'll talk about that in just a little bit um but nobody really has a goal. Nobody's really, everybody's just kind of like reacting and stuff is happening. And I think that's why the narrative gets a little off for me. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how true it would be to the human experience. Like, what action do you take when there is no action you can take? Well, you know, I mean, the two of them are there. Yeah. Well, have sex <laughs> by all means. <laughs> teach him what you can teach him in five hours anathema and go to town get yours girl like that's well drink and have sex that's like if, if you can't stop it if there's no action to be taken then you sit in the cottage and you fuck and that's it mm-hmm. yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much i think so i think so i think so, I think so. which brings us to our <laughs> Okay. Let me see. I Can love, I find a way to segue into I this? I think that may yeah. be my favorite segue of all time. We think you should spend your last five hours on Earth drinking and having really good sex. Now, Lonnie, why don't you tell them something else they can do in their last five hours on this right. Earth? Right. With, 
with your last, let me just thank you so much for asking, Dr. Jones. With your last five hours, you should absolutely be drinking and having sex. And since you're not going to need your money, just send it on to Chipperish Media. What better way to spend your last moments on earth than supporting the podcast you love, which you can do passively by just throwing us a couple of bucks a month while you're drinking and having sex with whoever happens to be closest. Whether you like your apocalypse from Good Omens, Buffy, Angel, or the MCU, we have got you covered. Go to patreon.com slash chipperish to send some love our way today really like today like don't waste any time now would be good time's a tip <laughs> <laughs> all right so why don't we talk a little bit about Shadow? Oh, okay the best thing mm-hmm. that i can say about this man is that the pin that he has in the map that won't stay put is funny the yes. best credit i can give this dude is for a metal thing that he tries to stick into a piece of paper that's it (laughs) (laughs) that's it and you know he's his way of thinking is so bizarre like he thinks Aziraphale is a Russian spy but he's Mm -hmm. not afraid of Aziraphale and I will not repeat the language and thought process that he goes through um about Aziraphale but with Crowley he suspected mm-hmm. that Crowley was from the mafia or the underworld, although he would have been surprised by how right he nearly was. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I would kind of like to see Crowley put Shadwell in his place a little bit, a mm-hmm. little bit, yep. you know, and, yep. and we see that he's afraid, but he's going to try to go save Newt. And maybe that's supposed to make us like him, but I still don't like him. No. And I mean, here's the thing, like uh, characters don't need to be perfect. They don't need to be perfect. You can have like racist asshole characters is perfectly fine. And they don't even necessarily have to be villains, you know, as long as like textually we acknowledge that they're terror that that's not okay, you know. Mm-hmm. But like when we play it for jokes and what he calls a Xerophile, which I'm not gonna repeat, um, which I was horribly horribly offended by, and I was like, Are you is that how you're talking about a Xerophile, Shadwell? Uh no. No, you know. Um <laughs> But I think when you have characters like this and we see that no matter how terrible he is, everybody still loves him and thinks that he's wonderful and that textually we are not acknowledging how truly, truly terrible he is. That's what makes it kind of great, you know? Yeah. Um, And Shadwell is, is difficult for me in that way. But the nice thing is about what comes after this part. Yes, because we finally get back to our angel and our demon. Yes, thank you. So we cut to Aziraphale at his bookshop. Mm -hmm. And he has this realization about, like, he understands what's going on. He knows where Adam is. Mm -hmm. And he thinks he ought to tell Crowley. No, he didn't. He wanted to tell Crowley. He ought Mm -hmm. to tell Heaven. I love that so much. I loved it. I, I love that he wants to tell Crowley because Crowley is his true life partner. Best, best friends. <laughs> I love that Crowley was his first thought. And then, I love that. And too. I kind of admired his hopeful optimism yeah. when he contacts Heaven because poor Sap. Like, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't realize that Heaven is no better. No. <laughs> and he, he talks to the Metatron, the voice of God. And I thought this footnote was funny. It was yes. like, not the voice of God, an entity in its own right, rather like a presidential <laughs> spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you have the, the Metatron says, the forces of darkness must be beaten. You seem to be under a misapprehension. The point is not to avoid the war. It is to win it. We have been waiting a long time, Aziraphale. And that is when you know 
neither side is actually good. Yeah. And and when Aziraphale asks, like, what do they have in mind? You know, the voice says, we thought a multi-nation nuclear exchange would be a nice start. And I was a like, nice start. Oh, yes. great. Yes, they're terrible as well. Everybody is terrible and all bets are off, you know. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I like about Metatron, the first time I ever heard the word Metatron, I was mm-hmm. like, is that a sci-fi thing? <laughs> or but Metatron is legit from the Apocrypha. It's <laughs> legit from like Bible era writings, you know, from the stuff that was decided wasn't canon. But I mean, it's still out there in those writings. Metatron. And it sounds like it's a, like a science fiction-y thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird to me whenever I hear it. I'm like, but even in science fiction, nobody would call anything Metatron because they'd be like, nah, two on the nose. You know? <laughs> it's just so weird. So weird. Um, but then we get to something that delights me to yes. no end. To no mm-hmm. end, Lonnie. And I can't even begin to tell you how much <laughs> I love this. So, you know, Aziraphale tries to call Crowley gets his answering machine and swears. He says, yes. oh, bugger. Like, but it's still kind of a sweet swear. It, it's a sweet swear. As far but as swears go, the yes. The first time he's sworn in 6,000 years. I know. You know, and then later we hear Crowley's side of this conversation, and I love yes. that. Mm-hmm. But then when Shadwell comes after him and Aziraphale accidentally steps in that heaven circle, he just says, oh, fuck. Right. And I think that is my favorite use of the word fuck in all of fiction. Yes. No, it is absolutely delightful. It, it is makes me so, so wonderful. Happy. I love that. But then mm-hmm. we have Shadow oh, no. busting yeah, into go. the bookshop. And yeah, he's I knew this was going to go over well. And oh my God, I did not <laughs> like him before. He's a terrible human being. He sucks. Whatever. But then he fucking burns down Aziraphale's fucking bookstore. And now I hate him with all the fiery flame of hell screaming behind me in rage. Yeah. And oh my God. <laughs> yeah, Shadwell didn't have much chance of making any time with you as it was. But now <laughs> I'm like, Just... give me that report. That Crowley <laughs> wrote about the Spanish Inquisition and put me in a room with this man because we will go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was it. Was pretty bad. It's pretty. I mean, it's just so sad. I All know. those books. All you those know? rare collections, yeah. lovingly rare. tended for thousands of years, and a dumbass with a fire lighter is just going <laughs> to walk in. And- <laughs> this is what happens when you light women on fire. Yes, it's just when oh. that becomes a general thing, you might light other things on fire too. Yes, it's stop so lighting shit on fire, Shadwell. I think that's today's <laughs> lesson. Well, the, the only more thing you know. <laughs> fire bad, Shadwell. Fire bad. <laughs> the only thing that could have eased my heart after this was Crowley. Oh, and Crowley does it so wonderful. I love Crowley. He does it so well. First of all, I'm just wondering, if he is being dragged back to hell, can I sublet his apartment? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean. I know. It runs on luxury and snark. I know. It it Uh, doesn't need electricity or maintenance or speakers. mm -hmm. Yes. you know, it's got this super fancy computer. And then, of course, I just got such a kick out of your technology love because right. the, the footnote here <laughs> said Crowley had been extremely impressed with the warranties offered by the computer industry and had, in fact, sent a bundle below to the department that drew up the Immortal Souls Agreement with a yellow memo form <laughs> attached just saying, learn, guys. 
Yes. Just I absolutely love that. <laughs> it was so great. And I feel so bad for his house plants. Like he's so wicked. He's so terrible. They're so scared. Like threatening them and talking I to know. them, but like as a demon. So he's got all these. But then I thought, you know. I kill every plant I get, and so maybe Crowley's way would work. (laughs) Give it a shot, right? I mean, they're alive. They're terrified, but they're alive. Yeah, you know. And so, of course, then he uses all of his plant tools to, like, Mm -hmm. kill Liger with a bucket of holy water. (laughs) But then (laughs) Haster explodes his plant, mister. (laughs) Calls his bluff, man. Yeah. Plan A had worked. Plan B had failed. Everything depended on plan C, and there was one drawback to this. He had only ever planned as far as B. Right. <laughs> and then he disappears into the phone line and, like, calls his own number. Yeah, so he knows how many rings he has until the answering machine. Mm-hmm. So Haster's chasing him because physics doesn't apply, apparently, to demons. Yeah, we're, we're so far into weird we're, at this like, point. Like, whatever. Right. Just ride with it, yeah. Yeah, so then Crowley just skids to a stop. Haster gets stuck in the answering machine, and I'm like, huh, so today mm-hmm. would Haster be trapped in voicemail forever? I guess. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little weird. It, it actually made me think of um, The Air Affair. Did you ever read that by Jasper Ford? Yes! Those books, yes! right? How we oh. kind of like people are running around in the footnotes and everything. And so you have this really weird, you know, kind of, um, I, I don't even know, metaphysical is the right <laughs> word. Oh my God. For it. Um, you know, this just this absurdist space where rules don't really apply. It's a dream space, essentially, you know. Um, so it's kind of neat. And it was, uh, it was sort of fun. It made me kind of want to read The Air Affair again. Oh God, I forgot how much I love the Thursday Next yeah. books until you said yeah. that. Heathcliff yeah. in the Thursday next books it's one of my favorite things ever <laughs> <laughs> it's so well great. maybe we need to do that someday maybe we do <laughs> this list that of things really that we fun. want to do <laughs> and and i really liked where we ended here with crowley yeah. because i basically just picked a random point i was like okay mm-hmm. this is the end of a scene so we'll stop here because right. the saturday section was too big for one yeah. episode um but it said he had no time to spare he had nowhere to go he went anyway He ran down to the Bentley and drove toward the West End as if all the demons of hell were after him, which was more or less the case. (laughs) I love it. It's a great place to stop for this week because I think it's a nice moment of action. You know, we've kind of finished this story beat, Mm -hmm. you know, and now we're into the next uh, space. So, yeah, I think it's it's very, very good. Well done, Kelly. Well done. Well, I thank you. But I just love that he's going to Aziraphale. Yeah, I know. You know. I know. It was really sweet. Um, But then I had to try to do some, like, critical thinking to wrap this up. Oh, why? I I don't know. (laughs) Something's very, very wrong with me. I can't can't help it. I was like, You just can't help being smart. Have we not spent this whole time (laughs) just talking about how nothing means anything? It doesn't matter. And you still have to be smart. But it's okay, because I love that about you. I can't. Help it. Because I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I struggled to write my notes for the script. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, well, I'm struggling because I don't know how to talk critically about comedy as a mm-hmm. genre. Like, I don't read a lot of comedy. Um, I don't watch a lot of comedy. But I really love the snark of Good Omens. And I was like, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So why is that the case? And maybe it's because Gaiman and Pratchett took, like, the truly terrifying apocalypse stories I grew up with and made them mm-hmm. lighthearted, right? Yeah. 
sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's offensive, but sometimes it's moving. But it's almost mostly funny and irreverent, right? Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, like a line will stop me cold and make me think or hold a mirror up to a hard truth before it dives right back into insanity. Yes. (laughs) And so it's mostly wonderful and I love it, but I don't feel like I'm reading it as a scholar, even though it has footnotes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> like, this is some serious cognitive discomfort for me, right? Oh, And so, like, that thought lit up my imposter syndrome podcast herself well and proper. Mm-hmm. And, and so I kept struggling with this. I'm like, how do I say something intelligent about basically a romp through apocalyptic insanity? Mm-hmm. But then I remember that reading in its purest form for me is supposed to be fun. Yeah. And, like... Reading for pleasure is a thing. And sometimes stories that make me laugh are just as important as stories that make me ponder the very nature of the human soul. And sometimes this book does that too. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that I love Good Omens in the same way that I love Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's delightful. It's nonsensical and it's playful. And I don't have to write a cr- critical thesis in order to enjoy it. And right. I'm more upset about an angel's bookshop burning down than the world ending. So there you go. Right book, right reader. No, absolutely. Okay, well, here's a quick thing, though, that I just kind of want to, like, open up for you to think about and for you to consider. First of all, you should not have any kind of imposter syndrome of any kind ever. So I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that, you know, remember we did, uh, for those of you listening, we did a podcast called Big Strong Yes, where we did uh, the the first book we did was Rising Strong by Brene Brown, which I highly recommend. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And there is one title to one of those chapters that kind of, like, was the first thing that popped into my mind when you were talking about this and it's that you got to dance with the one that brung you yeah so here's the thing like this book is not asking you or expecting you or i think even wanting you or me or anybody to take it too seriously Mm -hmm. this book is dancing to a song that just requires that you be present and move you know um so it is not one of the, I mean, like, this is the thing. We keep looking for all of this, like, you know, how do these, the little kids map up to the four horsemen and why is it pollution and what does this mean and where is the, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just about having a good goddamn time. And it's fun for us. I think there's something in the intellectual pursuit of trying to find and make these connections that can be really, really fun. And that's why we do it, you know. Um, but there are times where I think certain stories will actively um kind of resist that kind of analysis and it's not a failure in you it's that this book is dancing just a different way you know Mm -hmm. and so we got to learn to dance with it in the way that it is rather than trying to make it you know kind of form itself to the kind of analysis and work that we do and that's kind of what makes this fun you know it's 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 resisting that particular kind of dance, you know? Yeah. Um, and so trying to learn the beats to this particular story is a little bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Like most of the time we look at stuff and we're like, oh, here's this thing. And all the pieces sort of fit together. And so it's like, oh, well, maybe it means this and maybe it means that. And the and bottom line is death of the author. Whatever these guys meant, whatever they intended does not really matter, mm-hmm. you know? But the text itself is the dance, you know? And so you dance with that text. And if that text is not, you know, dancing to a beat that makes sense to you, you know, just feel the music and go where it takes you. And I think that, you know, I like that this kind of resists that sort of 
you know, analysis that we would ordinarily do. And every now and again, we'll pick something up. It'll be like, oh, no, that's really interesting. Um, mostly uh, what I see here is this love story between Aziraphale and Crowley yeah. and this idea that good and evil are just words, you mm -hmm. know, that in the end, they're kind of two sides of the same thing. And so maybe there's something about this binary way in which we look at the nature of virtue that actually needs some looking at. And I think that that's a lot of what Good Omens is about, if you want to say it's about anything. But I also think that Pratchett and Gaiman are absolutely fucking with us, are absolutely <laughs> directly antagonistic toward this, you know, let me figure you out thing. You know, so it's it's I think that for this book, it may be less of a let's figure this out than let's experience this dance. I love that. Oh, I love that so much. No, that makes perfect sense. And I can see how just going along with the ride and not thinking about the ride would be incredibly difficult for me. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> oh, no, it's difficult for me, too, because, I mean, this is a thing. Like, this is why we, we do this is because we really have a good time digging into this stuff and finding those little gems. And I think the little gems are definitely there. Mm -hmm. But I also think that Pratchett and Gaiman are deliberately flipping up you know flipping their finger at us like you know um and uh and not making it easy for us to find you know those little little nuggets of meaning they're throwing in absurd things yeah um that actively resist analysis and honestly it's a little antagonistic but i kind of like it yeah i do too <laughs> I do too. I'm having a good time. Yeah. I just like had to hit the brakes on how I was trying to think about it. Oh, yeah. So you should not feel insecure about that. At all. <laughs> you're amazing. Why? And you're very, very smart. But this book is actively resisting any kind of analysis from anybody. And you know what? And that kind of makes it fun. I kind of like the fact that it's fighting me. It's sort of a fun, sort of a fun time. It is kind of I've never I've never had a text actively fight me before, but this one absolutely <laughs> does. Oh, I have. All right, so Dr. Jones, what's your favorite part? Oh, Aziraphale calling Crowley and saying fuck. And, <laughs> and Crowley taking off for Aziraphale's bookshop after he escapes. Because when things yeah. are impossible or the world is ending, we want to be with the people we love. Absolutely. I love that. My favorite part is Aziraphale wanting to talk to Crowley when he realizes that, you know, the jig is up. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you're in the shit, the first person you want in that moment is your person. And Crowley is Aziraphale's person. Yeah. Aziraphale is Crowley's person. Yeah. And I just, I love that. This is like my favorite thing about all of this. Everything that's in this book, the delightful stuff and the crazy stuff and the annoying stuff and the difficult stuff, like that's my favorite part of the whole thing is just this love story between these best, best friends. <laughs> it's a love story between a demon and his angel. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Well, we want to hear about your favorite part. So to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Chipper End Times. Welcome to the End Times and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to drive toward the West End as if all the demons of hell are after us, which is usually more or less the case. <laughs> Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Welcome to the End Times by going to Apple Podcast and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show in Chipperish Media or filling your favorite plant mister with holy water and taking out all the demons around you. 
<laughs> we'll be back next time with Saturday Part 2. Paperback, some of the paperbacks, pages <laughs> 238 to 347. Others, it will be something else, whatever. Until then, everything depends on Plan C. And there is one drawback to this. We have only planned as far as beat. <laughs>